Amen. If you turn your Bible to Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7, starting in verse 1. Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law, and if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, You shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law. But when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me. And through it killed me. So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin through the commandment that might be sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I I want, but the evil I do not want to do is what I keep doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind of the spirit... Or on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's laws. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. 
So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if, you, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Well, I have a bad habit of uh, shaking my legs when I'm sitting somewhere. And I didn't realize that this could be a problem until I was in church one day years ago. And I was just sitting there listening to the sermon. And this lady that I didn't know came over to me and she's like, could you stop shaking your legs? You're making me nauseous. So I'm like, okay, I didn't even really think about the fact that I was doing it. And then I met Stephanie and I started doing the same thing. And she's like, can you, can you stop shaking your legs? I'm like, okay. And a couple minutes later, I'm, I'm doing it again. She's like, could you please stop shaking your legs? I'm like, oh, oh, okay, I'm sorry. So I had no idea that I was doing it. I mean, consciously, I knew I was doing it, but I didn't realize how much I was doing. I didn't realize it could be a problem until somebody said it, until the lady at church or my wife said it. And once they said it, it kind of brought attention to the fact of how much I actually did it and how much of a problem it actually could be. And I think a similar thing happens in regards to sin in our lives. We might recognize an area of our life we know that needs to change. We need to stop uh, overeating, stop watching pornography, stop being addicted to alcohol, stop lying, stop stealing, stop gossiping, stop lashing out at others. And we know that we need to do these things. We know that something has to change. But then the moment that we try to do it and the moment we kind of add a command that we're not going to do a certain thing, we start to realize how deeply involved in it we actually are. See, when we're just doing it, not thinking anything of it, we just do it in second nature. But we add that command and we say, I'm going to try to stop doing this. It brings attention to the fact of how much we actually do it, how deeply it's ingrained into our habits. And often when we do that, when we realize how deeply ingrained it is in our habits, whatever that issue might be, we get discouraged and we kind of tend to go back to that sin. Last week we talked about the idea that the time is short. And uh, last week is we talked about the new year. And um, we talked about the opportunities that we have for the new year. And some of us maybe based on that of thinking about things that we want to change in our life. Maybe we made resolutions. And that's all well and good. That's great to make resolutions. But most of us probably won't succeed in our resolutions. According to the University of Scranton, about, only about 8% of people who make resolutions are successful in those resolutions. And I think this is the situation that Paul is describing in this passage. He says that the law of God produced death in him. That he hears the law of God and he wants to follow the law of God, but he says he finds that something else is working in his members. That while he wants to follow God's laws, the law ends up creating death for him. And it ends up causing him to sin even more. It's this principle of the forbidden fruit when we're told not to do something. It makes us want to do it even more. And Paul says that this is operating in him. That the law is actually bringing death to him. Yet he says that the law isn't bad in and of itself. The law isn't sinful. It simply exposes his sin. I don't know if you've ever tried to dust something that was really high, like a ceiling fan or a bookshelf or or something that it's not really easy to get to. And you take a paper towel and you spray some cleaning product on it. And then you go up and you start to wipe it. And then you bring it down. And oftentimes it's just covered in dirt, completely black. Now when you do that, you don't 
blame the paper towel, right? You don't say, well, this is a faulty paper towel. It's brand new and now it's dirty. It's black. It isn't the paper towel's fault. It just exposes the dirt that's up there. And in the same way, the law is not bad, Paul says. It's not that the law is sinful. It simply exposes our sin. It shows us how far we fall short. And in the same way, when we try to change and apply the law of God to our hearts, it often reveals how far we fall short. And we often get discouraged and sometimes run back to our sin. So what is the answer to this dilemma? Paul is in this dilemma and he says, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? So how do we get out of this situation? Some people uh, throughout the interpretation of this passage through the history of church have interpreted this passage differently. Some people say it's talking about someone who isn't a believer, that Paul is describing himself before he was a believer. Some people are saying he's describing himself after he was a believer. Some people would say, well, the Christian life is, is such that we're always going to fail, we're always going to stumble, and we just got to admit that, and we just got to kind of hang our heads and realize and just trust in the blood of Christ, knowing that we're going to always fail. Now, there's some truth to that, because in 1 John 1.8, uh, it says, we, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So none of us are perfect. We'll always have struggles with sin. So that's, that's a reality. But I think as we look at this passage, and specifically going on to chapter 8, I think Paul is clear that we can have victory over sin. Not perfection, we'll never get there until we get to heaven. But we can have victory over sinful habits. We can live a victorious life in Christ. The thing is, we have two natures that reside inside of us. We have the old man, the sinful man that we inherited from Adam, our forefather, the sinful nature that desires to do evil. But then if we're believers in Jesus, we have God's Spirit living inside of us that gives us the desire to do the things that are right, that are honoring to God. And the question is, who, which nature is going to win? Is this going to be the spirit or the flesh, the old man or the new man, the old nature or the new nature? Ultimately, for the believer, the new nature wins. But often there's a struggle. So how do we defeat sinful habits? How do we break the bond of sin in our life? I think that this passage teaches us some ways that we can have victory over sin. I think there's three things in this passage that show us how we can have victory over sin. The first thing that we need to do if we're going to, put, or that we're, if we're going to have victory over sin is that we need to put sin to death. Verse 13 says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Note the text says, doesn't say do your best. doesn't say struggle against sin. It doesn't say try to sin a little less. It says literally kill it. Don't allow it to breathe. Don't mess around with it. So imagine you decide I'm going to try to lose weight. I've done this exact thing before. And uh, you go to the fridge and you see that there's a half a pie left from Christmas. And it's Aunt Kathy's special recipe. And you think to yourself, well, it's in there. It's good. I'm not going to let it go to waste. So you think, well, I'll start tomorrow. Then tomorrow you go to work and you get to work and you find out it's a co-worker's birthday. And so they have pizza, pop cake, cookies, all this stuff. He says, well, it's free. 
I might got to be a part of this party. I just I don't want to be rude. So they're like, oh, I'm going to start tomorrow. You know, or maybe it's in regard to alcohol. We have a problem with alcohol. We're addicted to alcohol. And then you go to the fridge and you see it's one last beer in there. And think, to you, well, uh, beer doesn't have that much alcohol. I, I don't know that I'm really addicted to it. Maybe I'll just have one more. So we have one more. Then some friends come over and ask you to go out with them. And you think, well, I don't want to let my friends down. I'll just go. I'll just have one, right? I'll just have one. It won't be a big deal. And then you go, and a few hours later, you're sick throwing up all night. Or imagine you have a problem with pornography, and you decide you're not going to do it anymore. But then you go on your phone or your computer, and, you're, and you see your favorite site saved. And you think, well, I, I've done it before. Might as well just do it one more time, and I'll start anew tomorrow. Or maybe you have a problem with gossip, and maybe... You have one last juicy story. If I just share this one last story, then I'll be done. Then I'll curb this. Now, do those, in those situations, does that sound like putting sin to death? To me, it sounds like flirting with sin. Allowing sin to have a foothold. Allowing sin to breathe. Putting sin to death means taking whatever steps are necessary to rid sin from our life. It means taking the half of Aunt Kathy's pie and throwing it in the garbage. It means taking that last beer throwing it in the garbage. Maybe not going out with our friends if it's going to cause us to sin. A person putting sin to death puts an accountability software on their computer. Maybe even getting rid of their computer or putting it in an open place. Jesus says in Matthew 5.29, If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. Now certainly Jesus isn't calling us to literally gouge out our eyes in this passage. But he's calling us to do whatever it is that's necessary to curb the sin in our lives. So if we're going to be successful in changing our sinful habits, we need to put sin to death. We need to do away with sin. We need to be done with it, have a clean break, not allow it to breathe, not allow it to have a foothold. So that's the first thing. The second thing that Paul tells us is to set your mind on things above. Paul says, for those who live according to the Spirit, set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Those who live according to the Spirit, set their minds on the things of the Spirit. What does it mean to set our minds on the things of the Spirit? I think it means that we think and long for the things that matter. Just a little bit later in Romans, Paul tells us that we're to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. The way that we deal with sin is not by thinking about it and ruminating on our sin, but about thinking upon Christ and thinking about the things of His kingdom. And as we do that, as we focus upon Christ and His kingdom, those other habits that have had a foothold in our lives start to lose their significance. The things that we thought that we had to have that we would never be freed from when we focus upon Christ and His kingdom, He can loose those bonds in our lives. Jesus said, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. If our treasure is on the things of this world, on the lusts of the flesh, then that's what we'll be all about. And we'll take shortcuts to get those things. But when we think about God and His kingdom and all that He's done for us, The things that used to have a foothold will seem silly to us. Our temptations will lose their power. 
C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Weight of Glory, said, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slob because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. We're focused on the things of God. Set our minds on the things of bodies, the things of this earth, start to lose their significance. So those are two principles that we're to put sin to death, set our minds on things above. But up to the, this point, these principles are all well and good, but there's one piece that we're missing. One piece that's fundamental that makes all the difference, and that's the gospel, the good news of what Christ has done for us. Chapter 8, verse 3 says, For God has done what the law, weakened in the flesh, could not do, by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin He condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. The law of God is perfect. It's an expression of God's heart, yet it reveals Our sinfulness. It shows us, as Galatians says, that we need a Savior, that we need Christ, that we're broken. And God sent Jesus to the earth to pay the penalty for our sins. So that we might be forgiven. So that we might be freed. So that we might be freed from this penalty of sin. So that we might spend forever with Him. So we wouldn't have to spend forever, forever separated from God. But not only are we freed from that penalty, but we're also freed from the power of sin. Sin no longer is our master. Sin is no longer to have dominion over us. And God gives us a gift. He gives us the Holy Spirit who enables us to live lives that are honoring to Him. And it enables Him to keep the heart of the law. So the last principle for dealing with temptation is this, relying on the Holy Spirit. That if we're going to have victory over temptation... If we're going to change our sinful habits, we need to rely on the Holy Spirit. When we think about the Holy Spirit, often in the church we're drawn to the spiritual gifts. The gifts, and we talk about, you know, people in the church have debates about, you know, whether the miraculous gifts are today or whether uh, the gifts of tongues are for today or how they should be expressed and whatnot. And so we think about all these different things when we think about the Holy Spirit. But one thing we miss about the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit is given us, given to us. And one of the things that the Holy Spirit does is it conforms, He conforms us into the image of Christ. He helps us to defeat sin in our lives. He frees us from the bonds of sin that are on, upon us. The reality is we can't change on our own. And when we're looking at this passage and thinking about chapter 7 and the question, is Paul a believer in this passage? I think he is a believer. But he's talking about living life apart from Christ. He's saying, in and of myself, in my flesh, I cannot win. I see the law. I see the things that I'm going to do. But every step of the way, I fail, even despite my best efforts. But with the power of the Holy Spirit, he can be changed. We can be changed. But we need to rely on Him if we're going to do that. Now, how practically do we rely on the Holy Spirit in our lives? I think Jesus gives us an example in Luke chapter 11. Jesus' disciples ask Him, Lord, teach us how to pray. And Jesus gives them uh, the model prayer. Um, and He gives, you know, the Lord's Prayer. Then He gives them a parable. 
And then he concludes the parable by giving these statements. He says, And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more would the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? As I've read and studied this passage before, I'm always surprised by how Jesus answers here. Because you would expect that after... Jesus says, if you, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, we'd expect that he would say, your heavenly Father likewise knows how to give good gifts to his children. But he doesn't do that. He changes good gifts to the Holy Spirit. And I think the reason he does that is because as a good, perfect heavenly Father, he knows that the thing that we need most in our lives is the presence of God, his Holy Spirit. That if we're going to find joy in this life, we need the Holy Spirit. If we're going to change our sinful habits, we need the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so as Jesus is teaching His disciples how to pray, He says, call out to Me, cry out to Me, and as you do that, I will answer and I will give you what you need. And what you need most in your life is the Holy Spirit. And so if we're going to defeat sin, we need to pray. We need to ask God that He would give us the measure of His Spirit. As believers, we have the Spirit dwelling inside of us. We have the Holy Spirit inside of us. The question is, are we going to yield to Him? Are we going to allow Him to work in our lives? And as we pray and seek the Lord, He will give us a measure of His Spirit. He will give us strength to do what we can never do on our own. I've never gone sailing before, but I'd like to go sailing. I don't know if anyone here has ever done it before. But imagine you want to go sailing. And uh, you go to the library or uh, order some books on Amazon, and you read everything that you can about sailing. You talk to some other people, your friends that have sailed before, and you talk about all the different techniques that you need to be able to sail the boat. You decide you're going to rent a boat, and you take the boat out and try out the sails, try out everything. You you just kind of do some tests and make sure all the masts and everything are the way that it needs to be. You follow all the instructions carefully as you go out onto the water. You find the perfect day. But as you go out on the, on the water, you realize that there's one thing that you need. More than preparation. More than knowledge. You need something fundamental. And what you need is the wind. You can do all the right things. You can put up the sail correctly. You can read all the books. You can talk to everybody. But you need the wind if the boat is going to move. And I think in the same way as Christians, we can do all the right things. We can try to put sin to death in our flesh. We can try to think upon the things of the Lord in our flesh. And those things are good things. But if we're doing those without the Holy Spirit, without the wind, we're not going to move forward. We're not going to be able to do what God has called us to do. The keys to change. Put sin to death. Set your minds on the things above. And most importantly, rely on the Holy Spirit. Call out to the Father who gives good gifts to His children.
who knows what we need. And as we do that, he'll empower us through his Holy Spirit to do the, what we could never do on our own. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you looked down in our sinful situation and that you came to the earth to live a perfect life, to die on the cross, to save us from the penalty of sin so that we wouldn't have to spend forever separated from you. But we also thank you that through your Holy Spirit you free us from the power of sin, that we no longer have to live under sin's dominion anymore, that we no longer have to live under the dominion of addictions and sinful choices, Lord. God, I pray that as we walk through our lives, you would give us power through your Holy Spirit Spirit to change the things that we need to change. God, I pray that our hearts would be open to hear from you those areas of our lives that need change. And that when we identify those things, Lord, God, I pray that we would rely on you to change them. Knowing that we need to put forth some effort. But our effort is nothing without your Spirit empowering us. Lord, I pray that you would conform us more and more into your image through your spirit today. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.